700 years before his birth in Bethlehem, God announced the coming of Jesus Christ through his prophet Isaiah. He said, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Those two phrases reflect both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ. He is born as a child, he is a human, but also he existed before his birth. He has existed for eternity because he himself is the agent of creation. And so in that phrase, we see a glimpse of the true identity of the one who was born at Bethlehem. The passage goes on to say, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus is the gift of Christmas. As we've been exploring each of those names, we discover that Jesus is wonderful because he is the one who gives us joy for the weariness of life. He's our counselor. Jesus gives us hope in the questions of life. He is the mighty God. Jesus gives us strength in the impossibilities of life. He is also everlasting father because Jesus gives us love for all the relationships of life. And finally, he's the Prince of Peace because Jesus gives us real lasting peace amidst the problems of life. Now of those four compound names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father can be the most confusing to some, but it has the very heart of God's greatest gift. Everlasting Father can also be translated the Father of Eternity. Jesus is the source and the bringer of eternal life. But, but what is eternal life? Well, Jesus himself defines it in his priestly prayer in John chapter 17 this way. He prays this to the Father on our behalf. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says that knowing God personally is eternal life. So do you know him? Not just know about him, but have you experientially entered into a faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ? This is what Jesus came to earth to give us. He came so that we could know the Father and not just know about him, but be united with him, to be connected with him. That's the passion of Jesus. He came to show us who God really is so that we could live a life that honors him and that we can enjoy our relationship with him continually. One of the things that I truly love and treasure about the Czech Republic is that even though it's a very secular country, they openly display nativity scenes at Christmas time, like this one here at Namaste Miru. I want you to step back with me to the nativity, to that moment, and spend some time with Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, the person that God chose to raise his son, to build character into his life, to, to show him what it was like to be a man, to teach him. Now, to help us picture this event, perhaps maybe it will be helpful for you to, to think back to a time when you held an infant in your arms. Maybe it's your own child, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, maybe it's a little brother or a little sister. 
But think back to the first time that you held that child, that boy or that little girl. Try to remember the emotions of joy, the emotions of fear that came with that moment. But most of all, try to remember the wonder of holding that child and gazing into his or her eyes. Let's think about that in terms of Joseph. Mary was exhausted. They had traveled for days in order to reach Bethlehem. And when they got there, every place that they went to was closed. Their relatives shut them out. Every inn was already full. And they had to um, resort to being in a stable. The birth itself had taken a physical toll on her. Then shepherds came and talked nonstop about what the angels had said. It was exciting, but the weight of emotions tied with the work of labor had worn Mary out. The shepherds were gone. Little Jesus begins to cry. So Joseph reaches down. He picks him up and he holds him close and begins to look deeply into his face. As he traces Jesus' chin, he says, Oh, he has Mary's smile. The curve of his lips and the slight wrinkle in his nose is just like his mother. Joseph looks at Jesus' hands and he sees that little fist as it then grabs a hold of his finger. Joseph looks deep into Jesus' eyes and he's searching. And as he stares, I think he might have been thinking this thought. I wonder what his father looks like. You see, Joseph knew that Jesus' father was God, that he was God come in the flesh. Well, that question is incredibly important because it is the question that Jesus came to earth to answer. He came to show us what God the Father is like. What we're going to do now is we're going to go into the scripture and we're going to look at John's account of Christmas. His account is different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us the historical account of what happened at Bethlehem. John gives us a view from above, and he shows us from heaven's perspective the coming of Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's go to the Scripture and let's examine how Jesus shows us the Father. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it.
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Prior to his birth at Bethlehem, most people could only imagine what God was like in a very two-dimensional perspective. Many saw God as, as a, a person of rules and of demands. They understand that he is holy, but many also see him as a God of wrath. And that's true. He is holy and he is judge. As they look closer, they should see not only of God who is holy and a God who is judge, but also a God of love. The Old Testament tells us hundreds of times his love endures forever. And the love that it speaks about is an unconditional love based upon his character, not the performance of the person who is loved. But somehow that truth seems reserved for someone else. Many people see in the Bible the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. But instead of seeing a God who is personally interested in us, they see a God who is distant. You should understand that information is not the same as intimacy. When information is all that we have, the image in our mind of God can be distorted. By the time of the first century, the religious leaders had intricately studied the information revealed in God's word specifically about the law. But they literally could not see the Lord because of the law and the way that they looked to justify themselves based upon the law. Understand, however, God has always been revealing himself in and through the lives of people. The vast majority of the Bible is biography, but what happens in the religious leaders is what often happens in people today. They look at the rules, they look at the law, and they try to find a way around the demands because they want to reshape God to look like themselves 
rather than see him for who he truly is. As a result, the view of God is distorted. Their understanding of God is simply that two-dimensional, distant image. Jesus Christ stepped into the world of humanity to bring God near, to show us who he has always been. God has not changed, but in Jesus, he stepped closer so that we could see a three-dimensional, living, breathing example of who he truly is. That's why Jesus came at Bethlehem. The reason God the Son stepped into humanity was to show us the Father. That's the very passionate heart of who Jesus is and what he came to do. In the Father's grace and his wisdom, God has blessed us with intellects and senses that long to see, to hear, and to know him. At the same time, God has allowed our imaginations both some liberty and some limitation. God cautioned us, for instance, never to make a graven image, never to make an idol, but he has chosen to make himself known. He gave us his word and he gave us his son. Jesus came to show us the Father in terms that we could actually understand and relate to. When we look at Jesus, we see God the Father. Philip, in fact, said this. He said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered him, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In Jesus Christ, we see God's love, God's compassion, God's mercy, God's holiness, God's kindness, God's grace, God's faithfulness. We see his power, his wisdom, and his life all put on display. Jesus came to represent the nature of God in a way that we could understand. It's the message he's always been communicating, and it's absolutely consistent with everything that we see in Scripture. In fact, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So in Jesus, we see what the Father is like. Let me give you some examples. First of all, in Jesus, we see the Father's hands. He is the creator. The book of Colossians tells us that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. The baby born at Bethlehem is the creator. The creator God come near. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. This means that what we see in Jesus is an accurate representation of everything that God is. We see God's glory. Now think about that. Can you imagine Joseph staring into the face of God as revealed in the form of an infant? The Bible tells us that Jesus' physical form was not exceptional in any way. In fact, Isaiah in chapter 53 says this, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So when Joseph looked at Jesus, there was not a physical attribute that held his wonder, but something far more real, something 
much deeper and more penetrating. The glory of God was revealed that God out of love gave his son. Can you imagine the eyes of God looking back at you and seeing you for who you really are? Oh, my prayer is that this Christmas, that's exactly what you'll discover. That you'll see that God is looking at you and calling you to himself. God came near and in the arms of Joseph, as he stares into his face, he sees a glimpse of God the Father. Jesus came to show his stepdad and all of us who the Father is. This is how John records it, what we saw in the video. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now when it says that, the Word is speaking directly of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, of humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus has the Father's hands. He is the Creator. But what we hear now in John chapter 1 is that Jesus has the Father's voice. He is the very Word of God. And God has been speaking since the very beginning. In fact, He spoke the world into existence. God has been revealing Himself to us in everything that He does. Creation points to Him. When we see the wonders, the intricacy, the complexity of what God has created, it should point us to him because he's left, he has left his fingerprints on everything he made. Think of the complexity of DNA. All of that information that is stored in every human cell and the cell of all other creation, God has recorded and does his design because it's designed to point us to him. Thirdly, we see that Jesus has the Father's heart. He is full of grace. Listen to verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh, became human, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, this is speaking of John the Baptist, bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me, meaning that He always existed. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. Again, speaking of Jesus, he has made him known. What we see here is absolutely beautiful. The law could only give us a limited picture of God, a two-dimensional understanding. But Jesus has made him known in a relational way. Now we need to understand that law and grace work together. We need both of them. Maybe a good way to to think about it is to, to think about in your flat or in your home, if you walk into the water closet or the bathroom or the washroom, whatever you call it, chances are that in there you'll see a mirror. And below the mirror is a faucet with water that comes out and a sink and a basin. The mirror reveals the dirt that's on our face, the deformities, the things that are wrong. But it can't do anything to take it away. It can't wipe the dirt off of our face. We need instead to reach down 
and turn on the water and take that water and allow it to wash our face. That's a picture of grace. The law, which is the mirror, reveals our sin. It reveals what divides us from God. But the water is God's grace, what Jesus has come and done to cleanse us. And that's how law and grace work together. We need both of them. We need to understand our need, and we also need to understand God's provision that he has given us in Jesus Christ. Well, if we go further, we discover that Jesus also has the Father's character. He is full of truth. Understand that Jesus came to represent the Father to us in a way we could connect with. And the first thing that John tells us is that God is full of two things, grace and truth. To have an accurate view of God, both must be present and both must be clearly presented. This is what Jesus did. He lived grace and truth. He never excused sin, but he always loved the sinner. Grace came first, but truth always followed. That's how we are to represent him to others as well. We're always to lead with grace and then come and show them at the right time God's truth and how it applies to them as well. John wrote to convince all people of the nature of Jesus Christ, to show him that he was God come in the flesh. And John goes all the way back to the very beginning. He goes back to speak about creation. In the first 18 verses of John chapter 1, John lays out 10 foundational facts regarding Jesus Christ. First of all, we see that Jesus has always existed. Secondly, we see that Jesus always enjoyed intimate association with the Father. In fact, they were one. He is God, and they were united together. We also see that Jesus possessed all of the attributes of deity. When it says he was God, he's saying that there's nothing that comes short in Jesus. He is fully God. Also, we see that Jesus is the only source of real life and light for humanity. Jesus is the creator. Everything that was made was made by Jesus. Then we see in verse 14 that Jesus took on human flesh and dwelt with us to experience everything that we go through so that he could become our high priest. Further, we see that Jesus manifested the attributes and the glory of the Father even in the flesh. And he was full of grace and truth. Jesus came to explain to us the Father, to show us what he is like. Verse 18 says this, No one has ever seen God. The only God, speaking of Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We could not relate to God or understand his true nature. And so Jesus came to show us God in a familiar, relatable way. No human has ever seen the Father only manifestations of who he is. And oftentimes those were frightening ones at that because he is holy and he is just. So Jesus came to show us the Father in such a way that would otherwise not be possible. Because think about it. How does the infinite relate to the finite? How does the unlimited become comprehensible to those who are limited? How does the eternal come to be understood by that which is temporary. Well, Jesus took on flesh to explain all of those to us in a way we could comprehend. 
Scripture is abundantly clear on the family resemblance. It says that he is the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1.15. The baby Jesus looked back into the eyes of Joseph and knew him for who he really was. God looks at you and sees you for who you really are as well. He sees your sin and your failure, but he sees so much more. He sees who he created you to be, who he died for you to be, who he rose again for you to become. He sees you as you can be when you're reconciled to him through your faith in Jesus Christ. He sees the plans and the dreams and the desires that he created for you to make you whole. But it's up to us to trust him. It's up to us to receive the gift of God in his son, Jesus Christ. That brings us to our next point. Jesus also has the Father's eyes. He looks at you with love. Perhaps the most familiar verse in all the scripture reflects that truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Right now, God is looking at you with love. He desires you. But you must respond. You must receive the gift He has given. You must recognize that He is loving, but also that He is holy and just. And we need to see into that mirror and recognize that our sin, our selfishness, separates us from God. And it needs to be cleansed. It needs to be taken away, which is exactly what Jesus came to do through his death on the cross, through his burial and his resurrection. Isaiah writes about that barrier between us and God. He says this, your iniquities, which means our selfishness and our sin, where we miss the mark, have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. If we want to come and discover who God is, the sin in our life, the selfishness in our life has to be dealt with. And it's not something we can do on our own. God is absolutely holy. And because of his holiness, he could not establish and maintain fellowship with that which is sinful. And so the sin had to be removed. Something had to be done in order to restore this broken relationship. And understand the fault is all on our part. We were the ones who walked away, who violated our relationship with God, who've proven that we're selfish, that we're prideful. Yet God himself took the initiative to bring about reconciliation through sending his son without compromising his holiness in any way. It was not enough that we should have our sins forgiven. We also needed to have his righteousness. We needed to be clothed in his likeness. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He's not only taken away our sin, he has given us a new identity in him. So that when God looks at you, when you place your trust in Jesus, he sees the righteousness, the holiness, the purity, the perfection of Jesus. He sees you and I as a new creation, one that is welcomed into his presence. Jesus had the Father's hands as creator. Jesus has the Father's voice as the word of God. Jesus has the Father's heart, which is full of grace. Jesus also has the Father's character, his nature, which is full of truth and holiness. 
Jesus has the Father's eyes that looks at you with love enough to die for you. And finally, Jesus has the Father's ear. Salvation comes only through the Son. This is why we are to call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. This is what the scripture says. Whoever calls upon his name, the name of Jesus, will be saved. God came in Jesus Christ at Bethlehem to draw us to himself. And he is the only way to God. Have you believed in Christ Jesus, the eternal God, who is the exact imprint of the image of the Father? Have you placed your trust in him? Have you given your life to him and said, you're Lord, you're the one who's in charge? If not, you can do that today. The scripture makes it very simple. It says, if we call upon the name of Jesus, we'll be saved. So I want to invite you to pray something like this. If you've never done that and you want to have a relationship with the Lord, you can do that today. Would you simply call on the name of Jesus? Would you say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you came to earth. I believe that you lived a perfect life, a life that I can't live. I believe you died for me and that the Father has raised you from the dead. Today I give myself to you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to follow you and honor you. Would you come into my life and make me brand new? I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. The promise of the scripture is if we pray something like that from our heart, we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. We call upon his name, we'll be saved. That's the greatest experience you could ever have. That's the greatest treasure, the greatest gift you could ever receive. Understand this. A baby was born at Bethlehem so that you could meet the Father. The scripture tells us very little about the physical appearance of Jesus. We shall all therefore have to wait until the day when scripture says every eye will see him. But where the physical features have been guardedly presented and with reason so that we don't go down the wrong track and make idols, the scripture are filled with descriptions showing us God's person, his character, his love. In his word and through his son, he's revealed who he is so that we can know him and have him be a part of every moment of every day. God, has, God sent his son into the human story at just the right time so that you and I could be adopted. In fact, uh, that's the passion of Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do, was to make you and I sons and daughters. Listen to this version of the Christmas story from the letter to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter four, verse four says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Understand, Jesus was born and died and rose again so that we could call God Daddy. That's what Abba means. At Christmas, we see that God is both the giver and the gift. God the Father gave God the Son so that he could show us the Father and that we could be adopted into his family 
through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. That's how Jesus is the father of eternity, the father of eternal life. And he is the one that shows us God the Father because he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the one we need to know and to place our trust in in order to have everlasting life. Well, over the last few weeks, I've been sharing about a gift that you can give back to the Lord this Christmas. I've talked to you about the smile because my prayer that I often pray, Lord, I want to bring joy to your heart and a smile to your face. The S of smile is stillness, because the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. In the craziness of our life, we need to slow down and stop and recognize God for who he is and to ask him to reveal himself to us. And that brings us to the M. That's to meditate on his word, to invest time in God's word and to think throughout the day on verses of scripture and what God is speaking so that we can see how to apply it to our life and how to relate to him more closely. The eye of smile is intercession. It's choosing to pray for others. It's taking the focus off of ourselves and placing it upon God and upon the needs of others. Choosing to pray for them on a regular basis. The L of smile is love and action. I wanna invite you to ask the Lord how you can magnify him today by serving the needs of others. How you can encourage, how you can care for and show the love of Christ to someone else. Let me give you a real practical way to do that right now. Here um, in the Czech Republic, we have a great number of refugees. And what we as a church are doing is we're adopting several of the refugee children, about 50 of them from refugee camp, as well as some connected to Dignity's ministry uh, that we partner with. And we wanna provide gifts for them this Christmas. We wanna share with them the joy of Christmas. You see, Christmas is focuses in on gifts because every gift is meant to be a reflection of God's gift to us, His Son. So let me invite you to join with us in providing gifts for these children. What we're doing is we're inviting people to adopt a child. We'll send you an age uh, of a child that you can go and provide a gift for. And then we're collecting those to take to the refugee camp as well as to Dignity to be able to share with those. For many of them, this will be the first time they uh, experience anything of Christmas. So we want to give them a gift to help them understand the gift that God gave to us, His Son. Would you join with us in that? We have a short window of time to be able to do this, but if you'd like to participate, send us an email at office at icprog.cz and we'll give you information about the age of a child that you can provide a gift for and how to get that gift to us so that we can make sure that it gets to the children in need. Along with that, would you be praying for them and pray that these gifts will help open up the door of people's hearts and that the Lord will provide the resources to communicate in the many different languages the truth of Christmas, the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for them. Would you join with us in sharing the joy of Christmas with these children? Thank you so very much in advance. I so appreciate you as a church family You reflect the love of the Lord well. And that brings me to the last letter of smile. And that is E. It's to express worship. And I invited you last week to to follow the example of Mary. 
She said, my soul does magnify the Lord. And that's a great start. Let me encourage you to write out your own song or poem of praise, starting with that phrase. My soul magnifies you, Lord. And then write out something personal and share that with someone else. We'd invite you to share that with us as well so that we can encourage one another in our faith. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for your faithfulness. If there's any way that we can come alongside of you, send us an email. We would love to help you experience the Christ of Christmas.